prayer. What a tool God has given us in the Christian life. A powerful, powerful tool. Amen. Well, let's take our Bibles and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Just turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We'll be there in just a few moments. When I was just a boy, we attended the Salvation Army down on Johnson Street in Akron. I went there for a number of years. Um, my parents took us to church every week from, and, uh, I mean, from the time we were just simply infants. I still remember playing in the nursery. I, I remember going back to the nursery and getting spankings, too. But anyway, it was kind of a love-hate relationship. <clears throat> but growing up in the church, I uh, have a very fond memory, an extremely fond memory, and it included my grandpa. Now, my grandpa never really attended church with us. But uh, every week, he would drop off and pick up my grandma. And um, every single Sunday, uh, me, my brothers, and a number of other children in the church would just, uh, just couldn't wait for the service to end. Why? Because my grandpa would be out in the parking lot with the door kicked open and a bunch of candy. Man, I mean, I could not wait for church to end. Now, that probably wasn't the best, but I'm still, I was very young at the time, and I mean, I could, the final amen would sound, and all the kids would get together and up and out the door and to around the car at my grandpa's door there, and my grandpa had candy there, and he would be handing candy out to all the kids, and man, it was awesome. Couldn't wait. Just looked forward to it so much. 
as believers, the Bible teaches us that there are some pretty awesome things awaiting us when we see Jesus one day. I mean, we live in this life, and the truth is, is that sometimes the burden's great, and sometimes the feelings grow uh, weary, and we find ourselves in a difficult spot. But let me tell you, if we as believers look to the Word of God, we learn that there's some wonderful things we have to look forward to. There are two scenarios that place us in the presence of Christ. We either die or we're caught up and out. Now, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, you're already there, but notice what it says in verse 6 through 8. The Bible says, therefore, we are always confident. Chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. The Apostle Paul, of course, is speaking. Notice what he says here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. Therefore, we are always confident, knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Verse 8. We are confident, I say, and willing, rather, to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Now, what Paul is basically stating is that he is expressing his confidence in his eternal destination. And he longs for the day when he is absent from this body, because the moment he's absent from this body, he's confident that he is in the presence of the Lord. So the Bible is teaching us, and the Apostle Paul is saying, when I leave this body, this tabernacle that God has given me, when I'm finally gone from it, I'm in the presence of God. See, when a person dies, their soul is separated from their body, and they go to their eternal destination, either heaven with the Lord or hell, separated from God. The believer who dies is both conscious and present with the Lord at their death. So Paul could say in Philippians chapter 1 verse 23, For I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. He's saying, listen to to you Philippians, I want you to know that I'm in a mess because there's one side of me that needs to be here because you need me. But on the other hand, I want to be in the presence of Jesus Christ because the very moment I close my eyes in death and I leave this old tabernacle, this old body, I'll be with Jesus Christ just like that. Tragically, those who are unsaved find themselves both conscious and present in a place called hell, though. In the book of Luke, we're given a picture of that. In chapter 16, verse 22 and 23, the Bible says, And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. The Bible later on goes on in Revelation chapter 20, verse 15, to tell us that death and hell are cast in the lake of fire. This is the second death. So we go to this place called hell, and hell is then cast in to the lake of fire. Can I tell you that the moment you die as an unbeliever, you will be also conscious, and you will be conscious in a place where you are without God called hell. It's a sad situation for those who do not know Jesus Christ, but For you that do know the Lord Jesus Christ, what a wonderful hope there is. 
And in this particular passage we read in 2 Corinthians, we know that he says we are always confident. Whilst we are at home in this body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident. We are willing, rather, to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. You know what he's saying? It's not just me, the apostle. It's every single person that names the name of Jesus Christ. Now, some would have us believe that when someone dies, they're unconscious until the resurrection, a resurrection unto judgment. So you're going to die, and then you're going to be without consciousness. You'll be in nothingness. You'll be in the grave until he resurrects you to judgment. I'm going to tell you, the Bible does not teach that. It doesn't play out in Scripture. The Scriptures above, I think, are pretty clear that the soul is both conscious and aware upon death. So the believer will find themselves in the presence of Jesus Christ when they die. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But then that second aspect, how is it that we're going to see Jesus? Well, we'll see him through death or we'll see him in the rapture or the catching away. Turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. Here we're going to read a couple of verses that address and deal with this element of Christ returning. He promised to come the first time, and he did. He promised to return again, and he will. And here we see evidence of it in Scripture. And by the way, the Word of God is truth. So sanctify them through thy truth. Thy Word is truth. Therefore, the fact is, is that the Bible, you can count on it. And if Jesus kept his Word once, he'll keep it again. Notice in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, but I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not. And that word sleep messes a lot of people up. They get into that thing called soul sleep, and they start to say, well, you're not conscious until this and that. But you can't take scriptures out of context, nor can you take certain scriptures and build a doctrine when there are others that refute it. It's going to be balanced, and you have to use the whole Scripture. And the Scriptures are its best commentary. So we we use the whole counsel of God coming to these points. And so we recognize that we are with Christ immediately. But notice this rapture is another time where we will see the Lord here. We're going to see him. And so anyway, but I would not have you ignorant, brother, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not even as others which have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. So you mean they must be with him then? So they're obviously with him if he's going to bring them with him. You say, well, he's going to resurrect them and bring them down again. I got this sneaking suspicion based on the rest of the word of God that they're already with him and he's bringing them with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. So those that are with the Lord are going to be reunited with a body, and they're going to have a new body. And then he's, in those new bodies, they're coming back. 
So they're coming down, the bodies are going up, and boom, there they are. I don't understand how that works. I don't understand how what goes into the grave comes out of the grave. I don't get all that 100%, but what I know is that the Bible's always true. I can't figure out where God came from, and I don't think I'll ever really fully understand or comprehend that, but I know it to be true because God's Word teaches me that. I don't know how in the world Jesus, who is God, all God, became all man. I don't know, and yet he was all God, all man at the same time. The Bible calls that a mystery. So there's a lot of things I can't explain, but what I can tell you is this, that the book we hold in our hand is called the Word of God, and the Word of God is true. The Bible says that he's coming back with them who have already gone before, and then the Bible goes on to say in verse 17, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Boy, he's coming back again, and when he does, we shall see Jesus. If you haven't died already, you'll be raptured out and you'll see Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 51 says, Behold, I shew you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead in Christ, the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. Boy, there, these two scenarios place us in the presence of Christ as believers. The death of the believer or the rapture of the church, one or the other, places us in the presence. We shall see Jesus. You know what? When we see Jesus, we can count on a few things. We can count on a few things. Let's pray. Father, we come to you. We ask, Lord, that you would help us today, that you'd speak to our hearts, that you'd work in our lives. And, Lord, if there be any without Jesus Christ, may they settle their soul's salvation before they leave this place. Father, it is so vital, it is so essential, it is so necessary that they settle their soul's salvation because, Lord, when eternity begins, or, Father, when you come back, they need to have it settled. There'll be no turning back. It's going to be a difficult situation. Father, salvation is eternal, and they need your eternal life. Father, help them. And Lord, for us that are believers, may we be encouraged today from this simple truths, the simple truths of your word. We'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. So either way, we're going to see Jesus. And when we see Jesus, we can count on a few things. Number one, all hope will be realized then. All hope will be realized. Turn, if you would, to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. When Jesus Christ returns or you close your eyes in death, either way, all hope will be realized. Now, I know that we're to live by faith and not by sight, and I recognize and understand that it's as good as done already, but I'll tell you this, in this old flesh, I got to admit, sometimes I get to thinking, wow, what's it going to really be like? Wow, is it going to really be like the Bible describes? And by the way, the Bible doesn't always give us that great of a description, does it? But I'll tell you one thing, when I close my eyes in death and I'm in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, boom, just that quick, it's going to be unbelievable. And can I tell you that if he comes back and that trumpet sounds, boom, just like that, it's going to be unbelievable. We'll be literally in the presence of Jesus Christ, and I'm telling you, our hope will be realized at that moment. There'll be nothing unsettled and nothing undone, and you won't ever have a question anymore about what will be because you will be living it firsthand. 1 Peter 1, verses 3 through 5, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the promise of God through faith and salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Man, if you've been born again, if you've trusted and received Jesus Christ as your Savior, those terms reflecting the same decision, if you have done that, you have been born again into a lively hope. A living hope, a lively hope. And that hope is an inheritance. And that inheritance is incorruptible. And it is undefiled, the Bible says. It's an inheritance that never fades with time. But it's just as real and it's just as promising as it was the very day it was given to you. It's all yours upon entering his domain. It's reserved in heaven for you. Man, you got life beyond the grave. You got love that never fails. You've got a body that never grows old. You got a city that never fades. It is an inheritance that is yours. And can I tell you, all hope will be realized when you see Him, when you see the Lord Jesus Christ. It's hard to wrap our minds around what we what, what the future holds, isn't it? It's hard enough in this life. We look at the situations and circumstances. Okay, okay, what about I finish high school? What then? I go to college. What then? I, I, I'm trying to picture my future. Will I be married? Will I have a family? Will I? Wait a second. It's hard enough in this life. Boy, to wrap our minds around eternity sometimes is bigger than we can even imagine. But I'll tell you one thing. When we see Jesus, our hope will be realized. It'll be all realized. That hope's just not a heavenly home, but it's a new body. That hope's not just a new body. It's a city that never fades. I mean, there's so much involved in this inheritance, so much involved in this hope that we have. He's coming back, yes, but when he comes back, it'll all be realized. Number two, number two, all trouble will be passed. When we see Jesus, all trouble will be passed. Turn to Revelation chapter 21, please, verse 4 and 5. Do you know that when Jesus Christ uh, walked on this earth, to our knowledge, based on Scripture, we never see anyone dying there? No one dies in the presence of Christ. Jesus had to put his plans on hold so that Lazarus could die, so that he could ultimately resurrect him. I don't believe he would have died in his presence. All trouble will be passed. Revelation 21, 4 and 5. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. Now, I understand someone's going to be, and, I don't, and listen, you're a, you're a Bible theologian if you've already caught up to this, but you're right, you are correct. During that millennium, people are going to die. I got it, and we're going to see Jesus at the rapture, and that's prior to the millennial reign. I get it, but can I tell you, you won't. You won't. You won't die during the millennial reign. You won't be feeling any pain. You'll have a new body. Watch this now. And he goes on to say, And there shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. He's saying, Listen, you can count on it. You can bank on it. 
You can bet your last dollar it's going to happen. I promised to come the first time, and I did. I promised to return again, and I will. And you know what? I'm going to keep my word, and I'm going to always keep my word. You can count on that. Now, you may not be able to count on others keeping their word. You may have had a father or mother that let you down. You may have had an uncle or a friend that let you down. You may have had a brother or sister that didn't keep their word. You may have even had a preacher or somebody in the church that seemed to fail you in your life. But my friend, let me tell you something. You can always count on Jesus Christ. He'll always keep his word. And he'll follow through with whatever he says. All trouble will be past. So when we see Jesus... All hope will be realized. All trouble will be passed. But can I also tell you, all fear will be forgotten. All fear will be forgotten. Revelation chapter 21. Look at verse 21, chapter 21, verses 23, 25, and 27. These are truly the odd couple. (laughs) Odd trio, actually. Couple would be two, right? All right, so odd triplets. You say, I've had a few triplets that were odd. No, you haven't. There's nobody in our church that had triplets yet. Wouldn't that be great? You say, yes, as long as it's someone else and not me. <laughs> wow. You imagine people that have sex tuplets? And then they have mental breakdowns. But anyway, all fear will be forgotten. Look at this. Watch this now in chapter 21, Revelation 21, 23. And the city had no need of the sun, neither the moon, to shine in it. For the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. Verse 25, and the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night there. And there shall in no wise enter into anything that defileth, neither whosoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. Man, I know that that, that that comes after the millennial reign, but in the presence of Christ, you don't have to worry about fear either, and it won't be a part of your life at that point, friend. But I'm telling you, there's coming a day. We know the moment we see his face, it'll all be realized, and it'll all be true, and there won't be fear. It'll all be forgotten, and I love the fact that I'm going to live forever and ever and ever in a place where there's no night. I'm going to live in a forever and ever in a place where I don't have to lock my doors or lock my gates or, or lock my closet or lock my room. I'm going to be safe at all times. Man, I'm not going to be afraid of being broken into. I won't be afraid of someone stabbing me in the back. I won't be afraid of somebody saying something bad about me. I won't be afraid of somebody doing harm to me or my family. I won't be afraid of anything under any circumstance because I've got God on the throne and I live in a perfect city where God makes sure nothing that defiles is there. I tell you, all fear will be forgotten. Don't you grow weary of being afraid? And someone says, I'm not afraid of nothing. Lose your job today and tell me if you're not afraid. Sir, yo, I'm not afraid of nothing. Okay, walk into a dark alley and have four or five guys with guns and knives on you and tell me you aren't afraid. Listen, we live in a world today where the devil is nothing but about fear. He's trying to get us afraid of a COVID. He's trying to get us afraid of our health. He's trying to get us afraid of our finances, trying to make us afraid of our future, afraid of everything. Why? He doesn't want you to turn to God either. He wants you to look at God and say, it's all your fault because if you're so big, God, why can't you fix all these problems? I'm going to tell you what, it isn't God's fault that all these problems exist. It's Satan's. He started that mess and he keeps it rolling. 
And I'll tell you one day, Jesus Christ is coming back to put everything in order. And I'm telling you, no fear, no fear anymore when I see him. I can't wait. Amen. We'll no longer have a care. We'll no longer have a concern. We'll no longer have a fear when we see him. So how should this reality affect us today then? Because these are all true. This is all reality today. I mean, the fact is, is it's going to happen. It's just sometimes hard for us to wrap our minds around these realities and these truths, but it's going to happen. So how should it affect you and I as believers? Well, as believers, when we consider the fact that our hope will be realized, our, all our troubles will be passed, and all our fears forgotten one day, it should, number one, make us thankful now. It should make us thankful now. Not then, but now. Knowing that it's true. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18. Please turn there. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18. Man, God doesn't promise you a rose garden. God doesn't promise that life's going to be smooth and, and, and simple. He says, listen, you, I guarantee you as a human being, as part of humanity, sparks are flying upward like trouble. You're going to have all kinds of troubles in your life. And I'm going to permit those troubles in order to ultimately mold you and to make you, to temper you into the person I want you to be. Because my goal for you and my desire for you is that one day you'll rule and reign with me and that you'll be able to take on responsibility into eternity. When we cast off responsibility in the Christian life today, we are only jeopardizing our future role with the Lord Jesus Christ. God wants to equip us and to prepare us for a future. You are just as saved today as you will be then. You're not getting any more saved. You don't have a different eternal life when you close your eyes. It's the same one you got the day you trusted him. And you are building a life for Christ now. And that life will enter and go on into eternity. We ought to be thankful today because of these truths. In 1 Thessalonians 5.18, the Lord says, In everything give thanks. That's the good, the bad, and indifferent. And I tell you, honestly, I struggle with that sometimes. I have a hard time obeying the Lord when it comes to giving thanks in all things. And yet that's exactly what He calls me to do. And I believe that He can do that without ever once regretting asking. And can I tell you one reason why? It's because when we see Him... all hope will be realized. When we see him, all troubles will be passed. And when we see him, all fears will be forgotten. And we got to remember that. And because we remember that, we, it ought to make us thankful right now. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 15, the Bible says, And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Man, we are commanded to be thankful, but why in the world wouldn't we be thankful? Why wouldn't we be grateful after God has forgiven us and saved us and washed us and made us clean and given to us eternal life? Hey, 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 girls, wake up. Wake up over there. Get your heads up, please. Listen to me, gentlemen and ladies. Please, come on. This is important. Your soul may depend on this. Your eternal life may depend on it. You may spend an eternity separated from God if you don't listen to what the preacher's saying right now. That goes for everybody in this room. 
We're a little short on help today because we had to deal with a few problems in our bus ministry. But these young people right there are our future. That's our future. Don't you forget that when you deal with them. Make sure you say hello to them. Make sure you know you appreciate them being here. They're our future. Make, should make us thankful now. Number two, should move us to light in light of eternity. It should move us to live in light of eternity. It should move us to live in light of eternity. That's what this, these truths, this all hope being revealed, all trouble being passed, all fears being forgotten one day, it ought to move us to live in light of eternity. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17. There is only one hope that we have as a nation, and it's Jesus Christ, folks. It is Jesus Christ. He is the only way, the truth, and the life. Nothing else. There's not one bit of education that will solve the problems in America. There's not one social program that will fix America's problems. Only Jesus can do that. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17. For our light affliction... It's interesting how the Bible, the Apostle Paul speaking now to the church at Corinth, is saying, for our light affliction. We know that in those days there was tremendous persecution taking place in the church under Rome as well as the Judaizers. So there's this unbelievable persecution taking place. And yet the Apostle Paul begins in chapter 4, verse 17 by saying, for our light affliction. If anybody knew what trouble was, Paul the Apostle did. If anybody knew what pain was, Paul the Apostle did. If anybody knew what, what it was to be hunted down and your life sought after day after day after day, the Apostle Paul did. And yet he says, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Notice what he's saying, that this life and all of its problems are very small in comparison to eternity, but yet what we endure and what we deal with and how we deal with it will ultimately affect our eternal future. He goes on, verse 18, to say, While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. He's saying, listen, the only reason why I view my life and my circumstance as light affliction, the only reason why I say it's only but for a moment, the reason why I can say that it worketh a far more exceeding weight and eternal weight of glory is because I see things through eternal eyes. I'm not looking at just today. I'm looking at the future. I'm not just working for now. I'm working for eternity. I'm not just focused on what's taking place in the world right this moment. I think about Jesus coming, and I think about eternity, and I realize I'm living for with him. And I'll tell you one thing, if we don't get our eyes off of this now, we are going to lose sight of him. And when we lose sight of him, everything fails and falters. Our families will suffer. Our relationships will suffer. Our finances will suffer. Our futures will suffer. Everything is dependent on Jesus Christ. To make us thankful now, it ought to. It ought to move us to live in light of eternity. There's an old song that says, It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Oh, it will be worth it all then. So how should it affect us today? How should those facts, those realities, those truths affect us today? How should all hope, as we've noted already, all hope being fulfilled, 
all fears being forgotten, all trouble being passed, how should that affect us? Well, we said certainly it ought to make us thankful now. It ought to move us to live in light of eternity. And number three, it ought to motivate us to give our best to the master today. Give our very best to the master today. There's a poem by C.T. Studd. It goes like this. Two little lines I heard one day traveling along life's busy way, bringing conviction to my heart and from my mind would not depart. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one, soon will its fleeting hours be done. Then in that day, my Lord, to meet and stand before his judgment seat, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, the still, small voice, gently pleads for a better choice, bidding me selfish aims to leave and to God's holy will to cleave. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, a few brief years, each with its burdens, hopes, and fears, each with its days I must fulfill, living for self or in his will. Only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. When this bright world would tempt me sore, when Satan would a victory score, when self would seek to have its way, then help me, Lord, with joy to say, only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. Give me, Father, a purpose deep in joy or sorrow, thy word to keep, faithful and true, whate'er the strife, pleasing thee with my daily life. Only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. Oh, oh, let my love with fervor burn, and from the world now let me turn, living for thee and thee alone, bringing thee pleasures on thy throne. Only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one. Now let me say, thy will be done. And when at last I'll hear the call, I know I'll say, twas worth it all. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Oh, today, as we think about what Christ has done and we think about what Christ will do one day, it ought to force us, it ought to motivate us, it ought to move us to give our very best to the Master today instead of giving our best just to family and friends, instead of giving our best to our work and our endeavors, instead of giving our best to our hobbies and our extracurricular activities. We ought to give Jesus our best we think, we consider the fact that all hope will be realized, all troubles past, and all our fears forgotten one day, oh, we ought to give him our very best today. The Bible, it describes those who haven't personally accepted Jesus Christ in their lives as having no hope and without God in this world. That's how it describes those without him. Can you imagine for a moment living in a world, a world that God himself created, being given a life that God himself gave you, but being described as having no hope and without him in the world. The world would like to say that we're all the children of God, but that is not biblical, obviously. The truth is we are all the creation of God but we become the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus, the Bible tells us in the book of Galatians. 
Salvation is by grace through faith. It's not of ourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. There's not one thing that you and I can do to earn his favor or to earn his pleasure. We simply are sinners in need of salvation, and only Jesus Christ can wash our sin away. And boy, there comes a day in our life where the conviction of the Holy Spirit falls upon us and we recognize our need of salvation and we say, oh my, oh my God in heaven, I'm a sinner and I'm that sinner you died for and I deserve hell. And you say, I don't feel I deserve anything but good. My friend, you're not ready to be saved then. The Holy Spirit obviously hasn't spoken to you yet. You haven't accepted the truth of the word of God in your life then. Because if you believe without a doubt that Jesus Christ came and died, you have to ask yourself a question, why? Why in the world would God send his only begotten son to die on a cross if you could be good enough to get to heaven on your own? Let me tell you, you can't and neither can I. The fact is, is when Adam sinned back in that garden all those years ago, 6,000 years ago, by the way, and can I just throw this in and blow the whole thing up? There is no such thing as evolution. I'm telling you there's no such thing as evolution. I'm telling you there's no such thing as evolution. I don't care what the doctors and the PhDs say. I don't care what so-called science says. Even though our president said that science has now changed, so what science was, it isn't any longer. Obviously, because now it's based on feeling, not facts. But I'm telling you the word of God is true, and it says that God created the heaven and the earth, and he did create it. And he loved you so much that even after Adam sinned and passed sin on to you and me and everyone that's ever been born, he said, I want you to be with me forever. I don't want you to pay for your sin. I'll pay for it myself. And God became man and he hung on Calvary between heaven and earth, naked before the sinful, wicked creation itself. And there he took upon himself your sin and mine. The Bible says he became sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And there he died, shedding his perfect, precious blood for you and me. And some years ago, I recognized my need of a Savior. And I knew that without Jesus, I would perish and spend an eternity separated from him. And I bowed my knee and I humbled myself before God, who's holy and perfect. And I said, oh, Lord God, I know you died for me and I know I deserve hell, but I don't want to go there. I want you in my heart and I want you to save me and forgive me and take me to heaven one day. And I'm trusting you and only you to get me there. And you know what he said? It's covered. It's paid in full. It is finished. If you've never trusted Christ today, let today be the day that you come to him. Don't wait on something to happen. Don't wait for you to spend a lifetime living the way you feel you want to live. Don't give your best to Satan. Give it to God. You'll never regret trusting Jesus as your Savior. But what about us as believers? Now, just like us kids, way back years ago at the Salvation Army, waiting to hear an amen so that we could rush on out into the parking lot because there was so much that we anticipated, so much that we expected, and we couldn't help but look forward to my grandpa sitting out there. The door kicked open, his one leg sticking out the door. And there he was with all that candy just waiting for us. Can I tell you, there's so much that God has 
that's awaiting us? How will these powerful realities and truths affect your walk and relationship with Christ today? How will they affect your life moving forward? Will you decide to be thankful to God for the inheritance he's given you? Will you choose to redirect your best attention from the temporal to the eternal? Will you give your very best effort to the master today? When I consider these facts, you know, that all hope will be realized, all troubles will be passed, that all fears will be forgotten one day, I think we can simply put it this way. Let me just boil it all down to real simplicity. It It should put us in our Bibles. It should put us on our knees. It should put us in the house of God. And it should put us on the streets in search of those without Jesus. I wonder, how is it working in your life? Will you allow these things to be the outpouring of God's blessing in your life and the future that he promises you? Our message is entitled, When We See Jesus. Can I tell you that every person alive will see Jesus? The question is, where will you see him? Will you see him at death? Will you see him in the air? Or will you see him at the great white throne judgment? I want to encourage you, if you've never trusted Christ, to settle it today. Get saved. See what the Bible says, the promises that it has for you. It will give you the answers you seek. You can be God's child, and you can live with him forever, and he will be with you on this earth. Even when all others would forsake you, he will never forsake you. He'll always be with you. And if you're a child of God, Will you allow it to affect your life? Will you allow it to put you in the book? Will you permit it to put you on your knees like never before? Will you allow it to motivate you to be in God's house like never before? Will you allow it to put you on the streets being a witness and a testimony of his grace and mercy every day? Father, we come to you. We thank you for all you've done for us. We are grateful for your grace and mercy in our lives. We're thankful, Father, for just the truths that you've shared with us and that you give to us through your word. And I thank you, Father, for these folks that have come today, for the young people, for the adults, for the senior adults, for all of us that are here today. We ask that you'd speak to us, you'd work in our lives. May we allow these truths to move us and to motivate us that we might be all in for you and be all we can be for you. Lord, we'll thank you. We'll praise you. And for the lost today, we pray that they'd come to Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand. Every head bowed, every eye closed.